0: Reclaiming public space, whether in downtown Beirut or sehat nour in Tripoli. Lebanese demanding more. Lebanese asserting control. And of course, regaining their dignity and fighting for their rights. A sense of optimism and hope from Nadim Houdi. Living in Paris at the moment, running Arab Reform Initiative, and he previously directed the Human Rights Watch office in Beirut. Nadim is listed as a signatory for an emergency economic rescue plan for Lebanon that was released today. Uh, the link to the plan is in the details box below. And we discuss this unique moment in Lebanese history and how significant strides are being made for disenfranchised groups in Lebanon. For episode 47 of the Beirut Banyan, I'm Rani Shatah with Nadim Houdi.
1: second element is really the um, uh, the youth element, uh, and I would say the youth and gender element. We're seeing here um, the coming of age of a new political generation, of a young political generation that's mm-hmm. different. Mm-hmm. You know, are they 18 to 25, 18 to 23? I can't tell you, but what's clear is um, they have a different approach to politics, they have a different approach to organizing, Uh, They have a different approach to what they consider taboos, and they don't have the same fears uh, that many of those who are over 40 have. Um, And that is quite striking. And they have not just been participating, they have been leading. Even in protests where you have more
0: experienced, you know, older protesters, it has really been the youth leading the way.
1: And in parallel to this, we've really seen... Uh, the rise of the role of uh, the feminist movement and women in general. I mean, women were always present in Lebanon's protests, but they are actually a dominant player this time around. Um, They're dominant in all aspects, from occupying roads, from standing up to uh, police and army, from uh, leadership, from speaking. I mean, you know, I think this is New while they were always present, I've never seen them, at least in such a key and prominent role. And and I think that the last element is really, uh, I would say, the, the demands, the formulation, uh, especially compared to 2005, uh, which were, you know, 2005, the demands were clear. It was Syria out. I mean, there were other demands, but this was the dominant factor. It was sort of macro-level politics. Mm-hmm. Um, 2015 was about the garbage, was about accountability, Um, and that's why it succeeded, but it didn't have this sort of national element in the same way. It was seen or perceived to be a middle-class movement focused on Beirut and parts of Mount Lebanon. This time, it's really a demand for socioeconomic changes, deep changes, and on top of these sort of socioeconomic demands, Uh, There has been an increasing demand for change in the sectarian system. Um, And what's been really fascinating is it's it's actually very dynamic, evolving, the way the demands are evolving and the way the movement is evolving. And I think that's what makes it as well such uh, a novel and innovative moment.
0: You know, I like that you you referred to women playing a central role. And your work in human rights and currently the Arab Reform Initiative in, in Paris, beyond political justice, beyond economic justice, do you see this as a moment for for women's rights in, in a in a in a almost um almost like a, a chance for women to become not just equal but at the forefront of what it means to be Lebanese and what it means to be active? in politics, and economics, and in demonstrations. Is this, is this a breakthrough moment for women in Lebanon?
1: Look, it's, I think it's definitely a key moment for women in Lebanon. Mm. Uh, we'll have to see whether uh, we manage, because it's not just a struggle by women, it's a struggle for all of us concerned about equality to mm. push for, mm-hmm. whether we manage to have a breakthrough. But I, I want to say yes. I think it's, uh, it does feel like a breakthrough moment, uh, and I want to go beyond that. I think it's not just about women's rights. I think what we see women demanding is
0: basically full citizenship. Yes. And that's actually what's been amazing in these movements, that while you have different groups, uh, but they're
1: all converging on the same demand. So what you, when you have a, you know, a feminist protest, they're not just demanding women's rights. They are demanding equality. They are demanding a civil state. They are demanding uh, a fight against corruption. They are demanding an end to impunity, and of course, they are demanding equal rights—the rights to give citizenship to their children, uh, the right uh, to be treated fairly uh, when it comes to divorce or child custody. But what's really been amazing is that, um, you know, they—it's—it's it's a convergence of demands. You know, they're not—they are at the heart of the movement. They're not just saying, well, just, just give us women's rights and forget about accountability or corruption. They are seeing it as they should, uh, and all the protesters, as, as a whole package. You know, this is not about just give me this little bit, you know, let's let's trade off on this little bit or on that bit. They really want to change things. And I think this is, you know, regardless of how you want to describe the movement, this is really the revolutionary aspect, mm-hmm. the sort of uh, changes and how you see people articulating these demands uh, in a much more profound and I would say radical way than they have before I don't even think women today would just be satisfied if they just say okay we're going to give you the right to give nationality, go home now stop protesting I think that the demands now are much deeper uh, uh, than, than just one demand they want full rights for them and for society and that's the beauty of it
0: now I'm going to step away from women and talk about just in general disenfranchised groups. At, at the core, at the core of this revolution, do you think that this is an economic, uh, an economic uprising focused primarily on the financial collapse of Lebanon, or do you think it's a broader political uh, goal that people are finally coming to terms with what it means to be Lebanese and? There's a citizenship element to it, citizenry. I mean, I, I'm trying to find the where the core of the momentum is. If it's really just we're broke and we want money, or is it more that we want a new Lebanon? Look, I think this is this is a this is a good question. My and and i you know it's hard to
1: make these big predictions. I think it varies. Mm-hmm. I see it personally as clearly the trigger is an economic financial crisis. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we're looking at a systemic crisis Mm -hmm. of the Lebanese system. The trigger is uh, the economic financial aspect of it, uh, which has affected marginalized communities the most. Because basically, the old uh, clientelistic system is broke. Mm -hmm. Politicians have been so busy stealing that there's actually not much left to redistribute to their followers or increasingly little you know less and less mm-hmm. so that, that the 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 what has pushed everyone to sort of rise up even within their own community against their own leaders is the economic pain that they are feeling but this is where it gets interesting because it doesn't stop there there's a sort of a moment of collective wisdom going on that has been really really striking people you know across the regions across economic classes are very much aware that the reason why we are where we are is that the sectarian system is inherently corrupt, is inherently inept, and that you can't just fix it. Um, you know, so even if their pain is immediate, you know, we want, we want, uh, we want to stop dying at the doors of hospital. Um, I think they have realized that the current system. Uh, you know, the sectarian clientelistic system run by a number of oligarchs. Even if it slightly improves its performance tomorrow uh, and it sort of stops the ship from completely sinking, it's not going to be able to
0: Get us moving again, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I think this is where you go from that immediate pain,
1: that sort of instinctive feeling as this is broken. You know, nothing is as strong an indicated the system is broken than when you go to the bank and you cannot withdraw money. Yes, it's yes. immediate. You know, it doesn't require political philosophy to understand it. Yeah. You realize instinctively in that moment uh, the system is no longer able to provide. But then I think what's interesting is just the sort of collective recognition of uh, we know why it's broken and it cannot be fixed by the current class. And I think this is where the power of Kullon Yani comes from.
0: And do you think that just for the time being, since we don't really have names to refer to, there isn't a leadership component yet, it hasn't even begun, do you think that it's a, generally a good thing that this is a leaderless revolt for the time being? Or do you think that, it, at least in terms of sustainable, uh, getting it into, tra- translating it to political power, would you expect people to emerge and carry the mantle? And, I mean, because up until now, we don't, have, we don't have new names. We have old names that have tried to reemerge, and they haven't been successful as of now. What, is it, what would it take for this to translate to something new, a political power?
1: I think that the first question is, uh, has the time arrived? And I think this is there's, there's a lot of, um, it's very interesting to watch. People are not looking for a leader now. They're not even looking for spokespeople. You know, walking uh, around the squares uh, and listening to debates in Beirut, It was incredibly
0: democratic, Mm -hmm. people were listening to each other, and people were resisting, actively resisting, people taking the mic
1: to act as quote-unquote experts.
0: That's true. People
1: don't want that. They want their voices to be heard, and again, I think we have to understand that this is not just limited to Lebanon, uh, you know, the Gilets Jaunes movement in France, many other protest movements across the world are increasingly cynical. And are increasingly uh, saying, we don't need uh, these leaders to take our voice. We want our voice to be carried. And in a way, this has been a key strength of the protest movement. Because when you don't have a leader, it's very hard for the existing clientelistic uh, system to go after them. Who Mm -hmm. do you go after? Mm -hmm. Who do you silence? Uh, you know, who do you accuse of what? It's it's almost like water. The protest in Lebanon is like water, and it's just sort of going around obstacles, surmounting obstacles that the that the sectarian system is putting in its way. And that is very, very powerful. Uh, and there is something profoundly democratic and liberating to finally have people express themselves. Now I get that it's also unsettling and, and it does make negotiations very hard. Mm. Um, but I think this is a question for a second uh, you know, for the future. It doesn't mean that we should not be thinking about it. Clearly all that energy will have at some point to be channeled. You know, these demands will need to be channeled. Is it by political parties? Is it by leaders? Is it by unions? Is it by uh, some what we're seeing sort of new professional associations?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, for a society to, to move forward, uh, for society to make decisions, there needs to be compromises made, there needs to be interest taken into account. But for me, this is for later. Uh, I think right now what you're seeing is really a, a profound. Uh, shift a profound desire by people to be heard to express themselves um, and to reappropriate I mean this is one of the most amazing things uh, to, to see and beyond seeing just feeling experiencing is the way people are reclaiming public space that's true in, uh, in Lebanon you know but not reclaiming it as a group but as individuals mm-hmm. um, and I you know and and, and and with this reclaiming the space there's a new sense of responsibility. And I think we're seeing the birth, not, you know, of of new citizens. Uh, And in a way, maybe that's even more powerful. The fact that there were volunteers, you know, by themselves going every morning to clean. The fact that people were were organizing, taking care of each other. Uh, I think this this shows this sort of new citizenry, um, that it actually comes with rights and obligations. I think it is very, very powerful. And I think... You know, having a leader is not, uh, you know, the absence of leaders has maybe facilitated this. And then suddenly everyone feels like, uh, I can, I, you know, I am responsible. And again, I think it's been very interesting to see that, uh, again, in this in this collective wisdom, um, the protesters are, are aware of this. And a few days ago, you know, there was that movement, Anaka at the Sarah. You know, they've put in these mirrors and, yes. uh, in downtown Beirut where uh-huh. you can take a snapshot of yourself on a mirror saying, I am the leader of the revolution. Uh, and that, I think that shows a lot of wisdom, um, you know, we'll have to see how, how the energy gets channeled in the future.
0: And you, when you say uh, reclaiming public space, I'm, I'm guessing you're referring to the, the protests that erupted at Zaytuna Bay yesterday and going into the Grand Theatre in downtown, as well as barging into the ag and using it for public lectures and, and, and debates. Uh, is that what you meant by reclaiming public space? yes but not just that mm. I'm also thinking about how people have reclaimed uh, Sehtenur in, in Tripoli uh-huh, uh-huh. you know this has become a space uh, for Tripoli residents friends from Tripoli used to tell me that and even
1: for uh, those of us who are not from Tripoli but we used to drive there the place felt hostile yeah. you know there was something we had seeded that space yeah. uh, as, as something hostile something we feel we don't belong we just drive through it mm. and they took it back you know, I remember people, uh, you know, playing,
0: fo- playing football on the rain bridge. That's also a form of reclaiming space. Or even putting um, a, putting on an Airbnb for a moment.
1: Exactly. I think there's there's a sense of uh, you know this is this is our country. These are our streets. Of course, now you also need to be more political about it, and you need to reclaim public space, stolen public place uh, that has been taken by the corrupt. To build, you know, villas on on land that should be public, that should be, you know, or this, this is also essential. Uh, but I also think there's another sort of just symbolic element of feeling, you know, these streets are also mine because we have to remember, uh, and I can really mostly speak about Beirut here. Uh, Beirut has become a very hostile city. What do you mean by that? Me. But you know, you you as you feel there's a level of. Uh, you know, even the way it's been built The way space has been appropriated Streets have been taken by valet parking You uh-huh, can't park uh-huh. without fighting yeah. If you try to park, someone will jump and say You have to pay this much mm-hmm. uh, The sidewalks have shrunk and shrunk and shrunk uh, You know, the quote-unquote zaran can park the way they want yeah. You know, it had sort of become a, a And even the, the, even you know, for a Mediterranean city that used to be open to the sea with a lot of you know, uh, uh, spaces to share, there
0: are almost, almost no public spaces left in Beirut. So do you think uh, this is in a way almost urban rights, that people are getting their urban rights back by using public space to express their demands? I think it's definitely part of it mm, mm. I think it's
1: definitely part of it mm-hmm. uh, you know I think it's, a, it's a, people's relationship to space is changing I mean I, this morning
0: some people were down planting trees yeah. you know we can yeah. discuss is this a priority now or not a priority
1: for me it doesn't matter the fact that they felt you know yes it's our responsibility to plant trees yes I want there to be trees right. you know right. uh, for me it, it's a very strong testament Uh, Of that, Um, you know, I think that there, I haven't seen so much
0: life in central Beirut in years. Yeah. In years, you know,
1: and families and and in a way people rediscovering, rediscovering the architectural heritage, reclaiming it, using it, uh, protecting it, maybe sometimes defacing it, Mm -hmm. but this is all a normal interaction one should have uh, with one's uh, city, you know, again. It it is is sort of a chaotic moment Uh, and from that sort of creative chaotic moment, we'll have to see what comes out of it, but there is so much energy, so many initiatives, so many decentralized initiatives uh, that I I think, you know, it's, it's a very, for me, it's a very hopeful moment, it's a very rich moment. Regardless of how this moment, you know, there have already been many victories. Uh, for this moment, uh, for this movement, um, and that's not to minimize the bigger challenges ahead, uh, but already at least let's celebrate this—the breaking down of the barrier of fear. I mean, if we were having this, this conversation a month ago, could we have imagined? Could we have imagined people in Tripoli chanting in support of Daher or Nabatieh or tiyer? Right. Or people driving from Qabala to Tripoli and being welcomed, yeah. uh, I think it's truly unprecedented uh, in breaking those those barriers. And and that, for me, that's the that's this is where the real revolution is happening it, in each one of us, uh, you know, in, in individual people's minds uh, and fears. The question is, you know, is this just a passing moment, a sort of a passing euphoria, uh, or can this take root and really be the basis? For a completely different, level, uh, you know, kind of politics. I hope it's the latter. I hope it's the latter. And with each passing day, um, I think you know the momentum becomes harder to roll back.
0: You know, we're we're roughly the same age. We're from the same generation. And the last time uh, we we met in, over the summer, uh, we we were joking about Instagram, whether or not we should have an Instagram page. And uh, I mean, I still feel strange using Instagram even though it's become part of my life and I wanted to maybe just get a subjective view that do you do you think technology let alone the youth factor but but technology and social media do you think that that is part of the story here that there's a momentum and maybe an expectation and a a rapid change the way people are interacting not just with the city itself but with each other through through WhatsApp groups, through Facebook, through all of all of the mediums possible, is technology part of the story?
1: Look, definitely, mm-hmm. and it's part of the story in Lebanon. It was part of the story in Egypt, Syria, Yemen, Libya. It was it's part of the story in the protests in Chile, in France, mm-hmm. in the you know I mean yes again it's sort of the 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 uh, the absence of intermediary. At this stage, each one of us is a broadcasting hub. Yeah. Uh, each one of us is connected to many different circles.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, again, I don't want to over romanticize it because I think it does come with certain challenges, um, and we're seeing it. But it's also, you know, it also means the spreading of of fake news is much easier. Um, it also, in a way, uh, rewards uh, shallower networks than maybe some of the deeper structured networks of the past, such as labor unions or political parties. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but and this is where I think we have to also, uh, I mean, I'm here just observing and learning from the younger generation, the 18 to 23, about how they uh, are making their decisions, how they are communicating. Yeah. Um, Look, the world has changed, and and I think in Lebanon, but in this way, Lebanon is very representative of global trends. Uh, Lebanon um, is dealing with the the emergence of a new uh, political generation, much younger, that has grown up with all these social media tools. Uh, They just grew up with it. And for them, it's just an extension of their friendships, of their links, about how they decide on things. Um, and they're starting to make their mark And I think, you know, we all need to be a bit modest And just watch and learn And, and yes, we can comment But I think we, we need to accept the fact that we don't know the answer mm-hmm. We don't know the impact of these things We can posit theories We can uh, raise arguments, expectations But uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it, um, how it develops But it's definitely part of the story, definitely
0: and Nadim, just, just to wrap up, uh, were you in Paris when the uprising began?
1: I was in Paris when the uprising
0: began, yes. And, and you flew to Beirut in the middle of everything that was happening. You you showed up in Beirut.
1: Yes, and I couldn't, I was sitting in Paris, you know, uh, watching Lebanese TV on YouTube until <laughs> the wee hours. Uh, and I felt... My place is not in Paris. I need to be uh, in Lebanon at this moment, and uh, you know, it was on a from professional. You know, I work on social movements. I've dreamt about social change in Lebanon for for decades. Uh, You know, for me, it would have been insane to miss that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if I'm being very truthful, uh, I I hesitated the first two three days. Uh, to jump on a plane mostly because I was worried that I'd be disappointed again Uh you know there was that moment of what if it's going to be another one of these two days and then everyone goes back home and and, you know can I uh, deal with yet another disappointment this is very personal I think it's very telling and I see that a lot with the generational shift my generation which has been disappointed before uh, we're slightly more cynical than the younger ones. And I'm so glad they're less cynical. I am so glad they have that energy and belief that's going to work because this is what we need. And I have to say that visit, uh, you know, has reconciled me with so many things in Lebanon that i become truly upset by over the years. And to feel that... Uh, you know, there is so much energy, uh, you know, so much life in, in, in Lebanese that they still want to change. That we're not as cynical as we appear on the surface. That, uh, you know, the moral fiber of society has not been completely corrupted by all, all these years. Um, it's truly, it's truly astounding. I was sort of, I was almost rediscovering, uh, not just you know, I was rediscovering. Uh, my, my fellow Lebanese and and yeah so I think it's, it was uh, I, I left Beirut a couple of days ago <laughs> very very sad I just had to come back and, and, and deal with the
0: left you know work that had accumulated but uh, <laughs> I hope to be I hope to be back uh, uh, very soon. I think it's,
1: it's really what, the, what what is happening is, is very very interesting. Uh, I think uh, naysayers should just shut up and give it a chance.
0: You know, Nadim, you, you mentioned something, which is, to me, it's, it's, a, it's a very important part, and you said it, that the, uh, the youth don't necessarily remember the previous failures. And they're, they're immune to that cynicism because this is their first shot. And uh, you see it on the street. I mean, the average age, there, there's so many young people, and they are all chanting the same thing. They want a better future. So I, I hope I hope they get it right this time. I just wanted to ask you, though, about Paris, because when I flip the channels from here, watching the diaspora protest, it's Paris that is really alive, and it, it almost almost mirrors what's happening in Beirut. But in your, in your perspective, do you sense that the diaspora, and let's use Paris as an example here, do you sense that it's the same type of optimism, or is it perhaps more optimistic than we are? I just wanted a sort of a perspective from, from your side.
1: You know, I think the diaspora, uh, the level of emotion is incredibly high in the diaspora. Because mm-hmm. you have to put yourself, you know, most Lebanese in Lebanon, but particularly in the diaspora, have very complex uh, feelings towards Lebanon. Yes. You know, they love it and they hate it. It's you know they, they love it they're attached to it they they miss their families they and yet they feel like like most Lebanese constantly disappointed angry by the corruption angry by the pollution um, frustrated by the uh, by by all things that, that are happening in Lebanon and and for them I think it's really they're they're saying okay maybe this is the chance of for for people to get it right and we need to put all our weight behind protesters. Uh, you know, I, you know, I've had friends actually from Gulf countries call and say we want to send sandwiches to the protesters <laughs> you know, in Lebanon, but really they, they wanted to, using Zomato they wanted to, you know, they just felt they wanted to, to support, I mean they recognize the real role is inside the country but they also want to play your role I mean, I can't tell you the amount of conversations I've had from diaspora, people are thinking, okay what can we do locally can we try to freeze assets of corrupt Lebanese in the countries we are living in uh, what can we do to organize ourselves? Um, and I think that could be very, very powerful, and it should be a factor for change, I believe, in in the future. Look, let's not get ourselves. Lebanon is going through, um, and it's going to have to go through, a very difficult economic and financial crisis. We're, uh, we're starting to enter it, but I, I fear it may get worse before it gets better. But for us to be able to, to make it out, on on better terms and and, and weather the the, the storm, the the energy of the Lebanese, the solidarity of the Lebanese inside and outside the country is going to be key. Uh, And within families, within communities, and at the national level. And I think the fact that the diaspora is very mobilized is going to be very, very interesting to see how it evolves. I think it's going to be key to also use the role of the diaspora to put pressure where it could be. You know. I think really we need to be thinking as they diaspora, can, can we push for legal action in different countries to seize assets that have been stolen from the country? Um, can we be a pressure group to make sure that uh, the countries where we are are adopting policies vis-a-vis Lebanon that help in the transition to a third republic in the country?
0: You know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really excited at the domestic uh, factor that these are Lebanese that are demanding local change, holding their leadership to account. There's no external slogan. There's no foreign flag. Or for that matter, there's no political flag. These are Lebanese citizens demanding a better Lebanon. And I hope, I hope uh, we witness fundamental change. And uh, I hope we have a third episode down the road that's even more optimistic than this one.
1: <laughs> I hope so. I hope so and, and I you know, I wanna I just wanna feel like coming back when I got on the plane I was like whatever happens for now, it was worth it. Yeah. You know? Uh, there is a renewed sense of optimism and hope in Lebanon. Um, and that's essential, and that's something that can be built upon. Yeah. Uh, so, I, you know, we, we uh, this alegría, this joy that we see in uh, in the streets of the protest, I think is beautiful, and and, it, and I hope it stays there because, uh, you know, it, it, it's uh, what what is happening is a joyful experience.
0: Yes. Well, whether in Beirut or Paris or for that matter on Skype, your voice is always appreciated. So, thank you, Nadim. as the uprising continues. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider a contribution through Patreon. The link is in the details box. And to keep updated, simply subscribe to your preferred podcast platform or find us on our YouTube channel. Until next time, I'm Rani Shattar. This is the Beirut Banyan. <laughs>